All right. Go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 10. How's everyone doing this morning? Me too. Luke chapter 10. I think that's in the New Testament. Don't quote me on it, though. Luke 10, 25. Does anybody have excited about and have an anticipation of what God's doing? Anybody? Anybody excited? Because I know I am. I want to talk about something today that I'm pretty excited about because I believe the Lord showed me something. You ever have a question you want to ask the Lord, but for whatever reason you don't ask him, but you think about asking him, but you never get around to actually asking him? Anybody besides me? (laughs) Um, You know, we've been talking a lot about wineskin. You hear and you've heard new wineskin, old wineskin. We've been talking about that scripture. But after reading, you know, to me it was kind of a puzzling thing. It's like you read that and it's like, okay, so what is it? You know, what is the new one? Now, we know what actual wine skin is. It's skin that holds, you know, they put wine in and, you know, that kind of thing. But what is he talking about? And we hear messages on we need to be ready to let go of the old wine skin and, wine skin and embrace the new wine skin. And I've always thought, Lord, what does that mean? What is, what is letting go and of the old and what does the new wine skin look like? What does that mean? And I felt like he showed me. And the funny thing was, is when I was thinking about it, I didn't want to ask him because I didn't think I qualified to ask him because I thought it takes great theologians to get these kind of revelations. So I didn't ask him. I don't know why. I mean, it's like, I know this sounds crazy, but just kind of share my thought process that I was thinking about. It's like, that'd be interesting. I'd like to know what that is, but I didn't ask him. I forgot maybe. And then the other day, he started just sharing things with me as I've been fasting. And those of you who are fasting, I want to encourage you. This has been interesting. I feel like the grace of God has been made available too fast. And I just want to encourage you to grab a hold of that and run with that. And, and I'll explain a little bit why fasting is important again at the end. But anyway, I'm, I'm pretty excited. So I want to pray right now. <clears throat> and my hearts are that our hearts are, our hearts are wide open to receive what God's wanting to say. Amen. So, Father, we do come to you right now. Again, we thank you for this wonderful opportunity. We accept this as a divine opportunity, a divine appointment with you. And, Lord, we open our ears and we say that we do have ears to hear, Father, what the Spirit of the Lord is saying this morning. And we thank you that by your grace we will be able to not only embrace the word but put it into practice. So thank you, Lord. Lord, help me to to share your message. Help me to say what's on your heart. Thank you for your anointing. Thank you for this wonderful opportunity. And we just bless you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. Now, you know, we talk about move of, moves of God. We all want to be a part of the move of God. <clears throat> and we talk about embracing the wineskin, putting off the old, accepting the new. And how many of you have heard, heard about or heard the phrase or heard the scripture or heard sermons about new wineskin, that phrase. 
Okay, most of us in here. And here's kind of what I thought it was recently. You know, because you always bring it into the context of where you're at. In other words, if God's doing something new in your life, and you get excited about that, and you're thinking, man, this is for everybody. Everybody needs to get a hold of this. And then so you think, well, that's the new wineskin that God's wanting everybody to embrace. And, and even though that we've had this transition, now I'm the, I'm the new senior pastor. And it could even come across for me that, okay, for you to, the new wineskin that God's wanting to build in your lives is you need to embrace what I'm doing. In other words, I have the direction of God. I'm going this way. And if you want to be involved with what God's doing, you need to, to step up and move in the direction that I'm moving. And that's the new wineskin. Does that make sense? And I think it's easy for leaders to do that and to see things in that perspective. Okay, uh, our church, our, our core values are still the same here in New Covenant Fellowship. Uh, our, in the direction, we're all about the kingdom of God being established. But the way that I do things versus the way Pastor Dell did things is going to be different. Different style, different giftings, and, and different personality, and that kind of thing. But what can happen is I can say, anything that I want to do, I can portray it as that's the new wineskin. So if you want to go in with God, you've got to grab a hold of what I'm doing. And if you don't, then you're not willing to let go of the old wineskin. You with me so far? And I was beginning to... I was beginning to I realized just recently that's how I was thinking, but that's unintentional. I mean, I wasn't on purpose thinking that way. But as the Lord's been showing me things, the new wineskin has nothing to do with me or what I'm doing at all. Now, what I want to do is just make sure I'm lining up with him. And if we're moving in the direction that he's moving, then we'll be embracing a new wineskin. And if I happen to be going in the same direction that he's going, then we're all, everything's all good. But if he's going in direction A, and I'm going in direction B, and I'm saying a new wineskin is following me, then it's all messed up. Okay, I hope you get to kind of bear with me. I've never shared this message before, so it's going to be brand spanking new, hot off the press. So when move of God, we talk about the move of God, we're excited about the move of God, and we hear things that God's doing something new. Hey, can I clarify something? God's not doing anything new. And, and sometimes we say God is new. And I've heard people say, and I've heard the phrase a lot, you know, God's new every morning. Have you heard that before? And I understand the scripture and what they're talking about, but that's not correct. His mercies are new every morning. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And see, God is not doing something new. He's doing his thing. He's going his direction. The new thing is, if we decide to join up with what he's doing, it becomes new to us. Are you with me so far? So when we line up and, and God's on this train and phew, he's just flying, doing his thing, establishing his kingdom, being glorified, doing his thing. And then we all of a sudden get a clue and we catch that train and we're boom. Then we're like, man, God's doing a new thing and we're all excited because we finally tapped into what he's doing. But he's not doing a new thing. His plan is written out. He says what he's going to do right here. And I know our heart, and this is why I'm excited about this church. Because our heart, 
I believe ever since I've been here, has always been, and hopefully forever will be until Jesus comes back, to do the will of God. I've never been discouraged in this church from doing the will of God. I've always been encouraged to embrace the kingdom, to embrace God, that Jesus is everything. It's all about Jesus. And I appreciate that about the elders. I appreciate that about my pastor. I appreciate that that about the leaders in this church. Now, we may not have done it perfectly, and we're not going to do it perfectly. We just ain't. Okay, so if you're expecting to be done perfectly, you might want to go somewhere else. But I'm so excited because I believe we are positioning ourselves to line up with him and say, Jesus, do your thing. Have your way. Show me which way to go, and I'm with you. And I believe that's what's happening as we're fasting, as we're he's he's turning us. We're turning little by little, but we're lining up with the king. We're getting our compasses all reset. And so what is this paradigm thing? Let me ask you this question. What does a move of God look like? Would we recognize it? You know, we say we're waiting for the next move of God. What is that going to look like? And we may compare it or we may have in our images uh, like revivals that we've got to experience or, or visit or uh, and it looks like the power of God going crazy on people's lives, people getting healed, delivered, the dead being raised, people getting saved, all that kind of stuff. I believe that's all part of it. I believe that is a big part of it. But we can think that's it. So wherever the power is flowing that way, then that's the move of God. And it may or not be the case. It may or may not be the case. I think it's something more than that. And on a, on a, like, let's say if the power of God, when, not if, when, he starts moving in here how he wants to, and we see the kingdom of heaven, like an open heaven, and the manifestation of God begin to hit this place. People get hit with the power of God, and, and they get instantly delivered. They get saved. They get healed. And we begin to see that happening. We, it all of a sudden happens right now, and we're all excited. We're seeing people get saved. People run up to the front repenting. And then next week they come back, and it happens again. The next week comes, and it just goes on and on. Then we decide to have a Wednesday night service, and God moves on Wednesday night, and we begin to have these services, and we're just seeing this wonderful thing happen over and over. And it's like, oh, my goodness, every time we show up, God's already showing up, and things happen. And there's been things like that. That's kind of in a nutshell how... Um, the revivals are, or the moves of God as we, as we name them. But on, from the ground level, not just the cool stuff like that, as I call it, the cool stuff, on the service nights. On the ground level, what does the move of God look like? The day in and day out. Let's say Sunday night we're having a service. People get saved, healed. And then we don't have another service until Wednesday night. But the move of God is still happening. What is it going to look like Monday, Tuesday? Thursday, Friday, Saturday. What does it look like? That's what I want to talk about. Luke chapter 10. What paradigm shift do we need to make? What paradigm shift do we need to make? I believe paradigm shift and new wineskin is is synonymous. I'm using those terms as synonymous and they're the same thing. New wineskin that we have to embrace paradigm shift what do we need to do to be able to embrace what god is doing luke chapter 10 this is a very familiar story the parable of the good samaritan behold a certain lawyer stood up and that lawyer or expert in the law 
expert in law, very religious person, you know, knew his stuff. He stood up and tested Jesus saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In other words, OK, I, I, I read that. I know that's in there. Love God with everything. Love your neighbor as yourself. But who's my neighbor? See, this guy had an idea who his neighbor was. He already had an idea. He just wanted to see what, what Jesus was going to say. And Jesus kind of surprised him. Verse 30, then Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. That means the upper part of his body was alive and the lower part was dead. That's what it means to be half dead. Now, by chance. Verse 31. Now, by chance, a certain priest came down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, had compassion on him. Then he took care of him. You know, we all know the story. He took care of him, paid whatever it took to get him healthy and everything. And then Jesus in verse 36 says, so which of these three do you think was the neighbor to him who fell amongst the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. And so the interesting thing here is I'm seeing this in a different light. I'm reading. How many of you guys are reading through the whole Bible in the year? Maybe you started. I remember some of you said, I'm going to do this and read through the whole Bible. I want to encourage you to keep going after it. Maybe you've gotten behind a couple of days because I've fallen I've fallen a few days behind, and you catch up, and you fall. I want to encourage you to keep going after it, because I believe God's going to show you some incredible things because you're choosing to honor his word. Amen? But anyway, as I've been doing that, I'm in the Old Testament reading stuff, and you get to Leviticus, and then you hold your breath and say, okay, here we go, Leviticus. And you try to hurry up and get through it, and then I made the mistake of thinking, okay, Leviticus, whoo, got out of that. You know, all the law, all these laws and everything, and then you go right into numbers, and it's like, What? Leviticus spilled over into numbers like, oh, man, anyway, it can be very boring, but there's some very interesting stuff in there. And I was beginning to see the Samaritan story through the light of this stuff that I learned in the Old Testament. Now, remember that these religious people, when Jesus came in his day, they were living the law that God had set up, you know, Moses and Abraham, you know, all that stuff in the Old Testament. And one of the laws um, was that if you touch a dead person... You become ceremonially, ceremonially unclean. Don't expect me to say that word again. But you become unclean, right? And I think there's times like for seven days. So if you touch a dead person, you're unclean. You can't participate in any of the religious activities for seven days. So here's what caught my attention. Here's this first guy who happened to be a priest. And he's going down and he sees this man that appears dead. And as far as he's concerned, he could be dead. You know, he's probably unconscious, you know, half dead. And he sees him. Now, of course, I'm just kind of interjecting my thoughts because we don't know. But here's this priest. What is he going to do? He's probably on his way to do his priestly duties. Okay, you with me so far? Is that okay to speculate that? I mean, that's not a stretch too much, is it? He may be on his way to do his priestly duties. He comes across and sees this dead man. It's like, 
if I touch him or help him, I'm going to be unable to perform my duties to God. Therefore, I can't do that. I got a, I got a higher calling. So in other words, this man was justified in his own thinking that it was okay to not help that man. I never saw that before. So in his thinking, he was thinking the right thing to do was to av- avoid him so he could move on because it wasn't just him and God, but he had people that he was ministering to. Are you with me so far? Okay, then the second guy, Levi, another religious leader. Maybe he had some, some duties similar. Sees the same guy or sees the guy. I can't do anything with him because I have to go. Matter of fact, he's probably going to the same place that the priest was going because they had a big religious thing going on. And they had, that was more important. And they, maybe he threw some prayers his way saying, God, send someone to help this guy. And he went on his way. And then comes the Samaritan of all people. You know, Jesus could have said just a, just a Jewish regular guy. But he didn't say that. He, he picked one of the most despised people to the Jews, a Samaritan. And then we see what the Samaritan did. He helped the guy, compassion, 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 spent money, whatever it took. And then Jesus said, which one was the neighbor? And, of course, they say, uh, I guess the last guy who showed compassion. And then he said, yes, now you go do likewise. Remember, he's talking to the religious people. And what he was doing, I think, was starting to make sense to me. And if you begin to look at a lot of what Jesus did, and we're going to look at some more things, he was shaking their system. They had a, a, a way that they viewed God, the way they interpreted the laws of God, the way they did the religious stuff. And Jesus came on the scenes and he began to shake that. He began to shake their thinking, their paradigm. In other words, he was saying, what's the important thing in this situation? The important is this person. This person is important. Are you with me so far? Okay, turn to me, uh, turn with me um, to Mark chapter 3. Matthew, Mark. Mark chapter 3. Verse 1 through 6. And I'm going to go ahead and start. And Jesus entered the synagogue again, and a man was there with a withered hand. So they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they could accuse him. And Jesus said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. Then he said to him, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he had looked around at them with anger, Jesus was pretty not happy with these folks. Why was he not happy with these folks? Verse 5, and when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched out his hand, and the hand was restored as, as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy Jesus. And I'm going to go ahead and read, turn to, uh, on the same lines, Luke chapter 13. It's another synagogue story, but a different situation. Luke chapter 13, verse 10. Luke chapter 13, verse 10. I'm going to go ahead and start. Now, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no, in no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he said to her, he called her to him and said to her, woman, you are loose from your infirmity. And Jesus laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation. 
because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, there are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord then answered him and said, hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan had bound, think of it, for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath. And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were being done by Jesus. Here's another situation. I used to see the... Now, it's kind of hard to put ourselves in this context to really understand these people, but I believe that the religious leaders to certain level, I mean, I don't know their hearts, but they were sincere in their belief that it was wrong to do any kind of work on the Sabbath, especially in a synagogue. Like, hello, this is the house of God. We've got this, our service going on. We have our way of doing it. And all of a sudden he comes and interrupts it. And he's pretty upset. He was upset with this. I think the man was, and he, he reamed the crowd out in front of Jesus. Look, people, come on now. In other words, he was setting order back in place because Jesus was messing it all up. So here we have the, the Samaritan where Jesus comes against the religious system and their cultural system. And then we have two situations here in the synagogue where, again, he's hitting this religious system that they've had it all set up. And, and matter of fact, in the other story, it said that they went to get together to see how they might destroy Jesus. They were so upset with him. I mean, their system was in place, and Jesus was rocking their world. Then we know the story of the, of the Syrophoenician woman. Remember that story? The woman who had the possessed daughter, demon-possessed daughter. And she's, she's not a Greek. She, I mean, she's not a Hebrew. She comes up, and she finds about Jesus, finds him, and is begging, please, please help my daughter. She's having this problem at home. And then Jesus ignores her. Remember the story? And then he ends up calling her a dog and all that kind of stuff. And in there it says the disciple said, Lord, get this woman away from her. Send her away. Because here's this woman who was non-Jew, had no business dealing with Jesus. Because, see, they were sent to the house of Israel first. And she was a woman, too. And they're like, get her out of here. And what did Jesus do? At first, it sounded like he was going along with the disciples. You know, when he, the, the whole comment about the, the little dog and everything, I thought, you know, the disciples were probably like, yeah, see, so get out of here, woman. But Jesus had a whole different agenda. He was drawing her along. He recognized faith in this woman, as my, my take on it. Recognized faith in this woman, and he was drawing her out. And, of course, she keeps responding with faith, and then he commends this woman. And now her story is in our, our Bibles forever. But here again, they had a mindset. These disciples who were hanging out with Jesus had a mindset of how things were to be. And Jesus is going against that. He's just hitting it over and over and over. And another time we see in John chapter 4. John chapter 4. If you go ahead and turn there, familiar passage about the woman at the well. John chapter 4, Jesus, the disciples go into town to get some food. Jesus stops and, and he's at the well and there's this woman there. She's a Samaritan woman again. And he's talking to her. And we know the story. Words of knowledge. You know, she realizes that, oh my goodness, this guy, he's, he might be the man that I'm waiting for, Jesus Christ. And then 
She runs into the town to tell the town. And then in verse 27, it says, At this point, his disciples came, and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, What do you seek, or why are you talking with her? They marveled. The disciples were shocked. Maybe appalled. Like, what is with this Jesus dude? And I don't think it was just the fact that she was a woman, although that was bad enough, but the fact that she was a Samaritan woman. And then we see the story. The end of the story is the woman comes back. She tells the town people. They come, and they all get saved and live happily ever after. And remember, that's when Jesus said, the fields are ripe for the harvest. The harvest is ripe. But here's another situation where his own disciples, the religious people, have a certain way of viewing things and have a certain expectation of how God moves and how God operates. And here comes this man on the scene coming against it, and they're, they're struggling with it. Matter of fact, that's why he was killed. You think about it. And then Matthew chapter 9. Turn to Matthew chapter 9 with me. Chapter 9, starting with verse 9. And Jesus passed on from there. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. I happen to be the guy that wrote this, this book, Gospel of Matthew. So he rose and followed him. Now it happened, as Jesus sat at the table in the house, that, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. Read that again. Now it happened, as Jesus sat at the table in the house, that, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? What in the world is he doing? Are you kidding me? He's really doing that. This is a joke, right? Of course, this isn't in the Bible. I've just interjected that. Now, verse 12. Now, when Jesus heard that, now Jesus hears this, this, this criticism. When Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. Go and learn what this means. In other words, he said, I'm about to tell you something very important. And if you have ears to hear, you want to hear it and grab a hold of it, learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Okay, we're all familiar with that story. Let's keep reading on. Then the disciples of John came to him. So I used to stop right there. Okay, that was a whole story. When Jesus was with uh, Jesus was with Matthew and the sinners and all of them, and they're having dinner and everything. Okay, end of story, because the Bible breaks it up that way. Then you have Jesus' question about fasting. So it goes from one thing, but it says, Then the disciples of John came to him. Now, I haven't studied this out to see in the original Hebrew where it breaks and, you know, grammatically and all that kind of stuff, but I'm just going to go with what I believe the Lord showed me, okay? Verse 14, Then the disciples of John came to Jesus, saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? And he said to them, can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom, is, the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. 
And then he goes into the no one puts a piece of unshrunken cloth on an old garment for the patch pulls away from the garment and the, and the tear is made worse. Nor do they put new wine into old wineskins or else the, the wineskin breaks, the wine is spilled, and the wines are ruined. But they put new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. Here's the whole context that I'm beginning to see. First of all, Jesus is with these sinners, right? He just invited Matthew, come follow me, new disciple. And Matthew's excited, invites him to his house. And they're having a party, eating and drinking and all that kind of stuff. And these people are there with them. The religious people see him and they're freaking out about it. And then John and his disciples come. And of course, the disciples are partying too. They're having whatever they're serving. And they're like, why aren't you guys fasting like us? What's up with y'all? That's not fair. You know, I wish Jesus was my leader because they get to eat and play and party. And my leader says we've got to fast and pray. Anyway, so they're, they're tripping about the, the company he's hanging out with and they're tripping about the fact that they're not partying, they're not fasting. And in that context, then Jesus starts talking about the wineskin. And it was something else that I got out of here. Jesus, remember, who were the most, well, it appears that some of the most despised people to the Jews in that day were who? Tax collectors. Remember Zacchaeus? He was a despised man. The tax collectors were very despised. Why? Because they took your money. They not only took the taxes that you owed the government, they also took extra. And here is somebody who's one of the disciples, a tax collector. Now, here's a thought, a new one for me. I've always thought that the disciples liked each other. Think about it. Maybe you're... you're Peter, James, John, maybe you're one of the first disciples and you're going along and, and you're okay with the crew that Jesus has so far. Yeah, Peter, you're all right, John. I can put up with you. And you're coming along because you're part of the new end thing now. You're hanging out with Jesus. And all of a sudden you go by the, the tax office and you're thinking, oh, I guess Jesus is going to pay some taxes that he forgot to pay or something like that. And all of a sudden you see this tax man that you despise because maybe he's the one that you have to pay taxes to and he's always ripping you off. And Jesus says, come follow me. You're like, what? No, Jesus, hold on a second. Hold on a minute. Not him. Not him. I had to put up with the fact that you invited John, but now him. I mean, you see what I'm getting at? I never thought of this like this. I assumed that the disciples were all cool people except Judas. And who knows? Judas might have been the nicest guy in the whole bunch. That's a whole nother preach right there. But here's these disciples, this motley crew, and the kind of people that Jesus was putting together. They probably did not like each other. As a matter of fact, we see that John, James and John, they're the ones that their mom was trying to get the best seats in the house at the table. You know, you know what I'm talking about when they say, hey, Jesus, you know when you come in your kingdom, you know, come on, boys. Can they kind of hang with you and all that kind of stuff? And all the disciples heard that and they were ticked. Of course, they assumed that John and James put their mom up to that kind of thing. So there were... There was, Fighting, there was um, tension, there was people not getting along. And what is Jesus doing? He's, he's doing this. Now, I believe that Jesus is intentional. He's not a happenstance kind of person. He just picks people, oh, you look like a cool guy, come follow me. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he's intentional in what he's doing. Because he's about to change the world. And he's going to start with these Crazy guys. And he picks 12 of them. Of course, we see one defect on him. 
So it's like, what is he doing? And you know, in John chapter 21, you don't have to turn there if you take a note, you can write that down. John chapter 21, verse 15 through 17. Remember later on, John, excuse me, not John, Peter denies Jesus three times. We all know the story. And so after Jesus is resurrected, he comes back. He comes back. And he's talking to the disciples, they're eating fish and everything. And he says, Peter, do you love me? And actually the word he used there was agape. Do you love me? And Peter said, yes, Lord, I phileo you. I love you, but not that kind of love. I love you. And he said, and then he said, yes, I love you. And he said, feed my sheep. Then he asked him again, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Tend to my lambs. Peter, do you love me? And then it said he was sad. Man, why do you keep asking me this over and over? Yes, I do love you. Feed my sheep. It's like of all the things, you know, Peter was feeling like a, a crummy bum because of what he had done. And it's like one message that Jesus wanted to get into Peter's heart, his spirit. First of all, he embraced him. He accepted him. It's okay. You're all good. But if you love me, here's what I want you to do. He said it three times. Take care of my people. Take care of my people. And then if we look at, all this is hopefully building to going somewhere. Mark, Turn to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. And verse 28. Mark chapter 12 and verse 28. Chapter 12. And this is the clincher right here. Verse 28. Then one of the scribes came, again, one of the religious leaders, you know, coming, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? Or which is the greatest commandment of all? This is what he's asking. Remember, these people are trying to, they're testing Jesus. They're trying to get him to trip up. They're challenging him. And here's another guy. Which is the greatest commandment of all? Then Jesus answered him, The first of all, the first of all commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So he lumps them together to answer his question. What's the greatest commandment? These And then here's what was interesting. Verse 32. So the scribe said to him, well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth for there is one God and there is no other but he. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding and with all the soul and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now, when Jesus said Now, when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And I never caught that before. Not only did that guy said, yeah, okay, Jesus, you said, right. Remember, to the the Jewish leaders, the, the religious leaders, what was more important to them than the law, the religious statutes, and, and especially the sacrifices? Was there anything more important to them than that? Nothing. And all of a sudden, this guy gets this revelation 
And he says, uh, you know, to love him with all your heart, with all the understanding and with all the soul and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. This guy got it. Bam. Other words, to love God and people is the whole thing. That is it. What Jesus was coming to bring, the, the paradigm shift, I believe, actually turn to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. Verse 34. And Jesus says, he's talking to his disciples. He says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. And he doesn't stop there. That you love one another. And then he says, as I have loved you, you also love one another. In other words, he was saying, hey, guys, you see all the stuff I did? You see why I picked James and John and Matthew and and." And I've reached out to the Syrophoenician woman, and he did all these things. See, you remember all those things that you guys didn't understand? I'm paraphrasing, okay? All these things you didn't understand, here's why I was doing this. It all boils down to this. Love each other just like in the same way that I loved you. And then he says, this is how they will know that you're my disciples. By the love that you have for one another. This is how the world is going to know that you're my disciples. And correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, because if I am wrong, please correct me. I don't know of any other phrase where Jesus said, this is how they're going to know that you're my disciples. By this right here. One description, one thing is how the world's going to know that, they, that you're my disciples. Your love for one another. And the whole wineskin that I believe that the Lord, that Jesus was bringing, because if you look all through his life, you look through the Gospels, see everything that he did. It was all about bringing the love of God to a people who didn't deserve it and showing what it looked like. What does it look like to love your neighbor as yourself? He showed, he explained what it looked like, and he demonstrated what it looked like. You know how many dead people Jesus touched? You know how many times he became unceremonially clean? Did he care? He didn't care about that system. And remember, Jesus didn't come to to do away with the law. He came to fulfill the law. He was saying, this is what God meant. This is what it looks like. Just like this. This is what it looks like. So the whole paradigm shift, the whole wineskin, if we can boil it down to one thing. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second, just like it, love your neighbor as yourself. That's the thing that God, that's the train that God is moving on. That's the train. And if we decide that we're going to jump on his train, then that's the direction it's going to go. And it's going to look like loving people. See, getting back to the question that I asked you earlier, what what does a move of God look like? I had a, um, I think it was a vision a couple of years ago. And I might, I can't, I shared this before, but I don't know what context. I don't know if it was on a Bible study or whatever. So if you heard it before, that's okay. You hear it again. But I had a vision 
uh, I believe I was preaching, I think. Somebody was. I can't remember if I was. I don't remember where I was in this, in this vision. But there was preaching. There was an altar call. People came up and people were getting saved. And there was this one woman I remember distinctly. There was a woman, and she looked very distinguished. She was in like a business suit. She had on a, like a suit jacket, and then she had on a skirt, a business suit, but it was gray. She had blonde hair. Okay, and she, make sure she's not in here yet. Or, but anyway, and she came up, and she was being prayed for, and all of a sudden she started manifesting. Started manifesting demonically, you know, just spazzing out and all this kind of stuff. And then, you know, bam, someone prayed for her, the power of God hit her, and all of a sudden she threw up. Right here in the carpet, right here. Threw up. And then she was set free. She was delivered. And she began praising God. I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. Thank you, Jesus. She began to worship and praise God. And a number of people were fixated and stuck on the vomit. What does the move of God look like? You know, we're, we're saying, God, we want you to move. And I don't know this for a fact, but if I were able to interview uh, John Kilpatrick, who was the pastor of the, the Brownsville Revival, or any of his staff, I would ask him, you know, when you guys were going through that whole thing, what was it like on Mondays and Tuesdays? And, you know, when they, actually they had it every night. They got to where it was every night. But like during the day or during the off times or whatever, what, what was it like? What did it look like on the ground level? And you know what I bet they would say in some shape or form? Taking care of the people. What about the drug addicts who came and got saved and delivered? What about the prostitutes, drug users? What about the sex offenders? What about people with all kinds of, I mean, you get the point, all kinds of people who don't necessarily look or act or smell like we want them to. And they come and God begins to set them free. See, when God moves, he's all about, one, his kingdom, his will being done. But his kingdom is manifested through the lives of people. Someone's addicted to drugs and he, bam, hits them wonderfully and they're set free. But just because they're set free from drugs doesn't mean they don't have a whole lot of other issues to deal with. And if they came into your service smelling pretty bad, that doesn't mean... Unless God did another supernatural work, but all of a sudden they smell good. You know what I'm saying? So in other words, what a move of God's going to look like is people. People getting saved, people's lives getting changed, people being hungry for God, people getting delivered. But then you're taking care of these people. You're reaching out and loving and embracing these people. Now I want to ask you a question. Do you want a move of God? Don't answer that openly. Because see, when I say, oh, God, bring it on, bring it on, bring it on. What I think of, here's what I was thinking of. The wonderful worship, because I love worship. I love to worship God. I just love it. I love the, the power of God, people getting set free and people getting saved, people crying and weeping. And see, when I think of a move of God, that's what I was fixated on. And that's awesome because that's part of it. 
But I think a bigger part that we overlook that we don't is the vomit on the floor. And it's like now I cannot read the, the, the Bible without seeing the love of God all in it. You know, we hear, you know, God's love, God's love, God's love. It's like, yeah, yeah, I know, but let's get to the real good stuff. I mean, okay, God, I know you love, but come on, give me some meaty stuff. That is the meat. We're talking prime rib. No, we're talking filet mignon. That's what we're talking about. The real good stuff, you know, the kind of melts in your mouth. The love of God. And I'm learning and recognizing that I need to understand it more. And that's my heart is to learn, understand his love more. And one more passage I want to read real quick, and I'll be closing. 1 Peter chapter 4. I thought this was interesting. Remember when, remember when Peter was restored by Jesus and he said, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? If you do, here's what I want you to do. In, first, or in John chapter 21. Right here, Peter's writing one of his books. And in, in verse 7 of chapter 4, he says, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. In other words, okay, guys, we're getting real close to the end. And he said this, what, about 2,000 years ago? So you think we're any closer to the end? But he said, the end of all things is at hand. So here's what needs to happen. First of all, he says, um, therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. But then he says, and above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. So what should we be doing in, in the end times as Christians? Have fervent love for one another and being hospitable. Hospitality is how, what love looks like. In other words, spending time with people, fellowship. And we're going to be talking more about this because the Lord won't let me get away from this. And he's been rocking my world with this whole thing. All of a sudden, everything's starting to change. Everything's starting to change. And he, I was weeding yesterday, you know, trimming my grass out in 110-degree weather, suffering, you know. And actually, I did it in the morning. I wasn't a dummy. I was in the morning. So I was weed eating. And the Lord's talking to me, downloading, sharing things with me. And, and uh, if you see me, I'll cut my grass. I'm preparing for my message. Just so. If you see me driving by on that tractor, oh, he's preparing for his message. He must be preaching. Anyway, so I'm sitting there weed eating. And the Lord reminded I got a phone call the other day. And I missed the phone call, so I got a message. And it was a, it was a young man, or I don't know how old he is. And he said, uh, hey, CJ, this is so-and-so. Attitude. All of a sudden, attitude rose up in me. And he said, hey, long time no see. I'm like, you got that right. Hadn't heard from this guy in years. And he was saying, hey, me and so-and-so, his wife, we're somewhere. I can't remember where he lived. I haven't listened to the, I haven't responded to his message yet. Anyway, he says, hey, i got something I need to talk to you about. Blah, 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 please call me back. I'm thinking, yeah, right. Not call this character back because all he's going to ask for is help. And he's probably still on drugs. He's probably doing this and this and this and this and this and this and this. Judgment, 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 judgment. So I'm minding my own business, trimming my lawn. And the Lord reminded me of this young man that called. He began to deal with me as he's sharing all this stuff with me. He said, you remember that young man that you weren't going to call back? It's like gulp. I knew where he was going. 
First of all, I have no idea what this guy's going through. And second of all, if he's still in drugs, if he's still being a knucklehead, if that's the case, so what? What does God want me to do? Does God want me to reach out and love this guy? And what if I reach out to him and do whatever I can and everything, and he stays on drugs, he stays in that? Is that my concern? Is that my responsibility? No. My responsibility is to love him. See, the thing is, the last point, and I said that was the last scripture, so I'm not going to read another scripture, but I have last point. And I'll be done. The last point is, we don't know where we're at. When we, see, we think we're loving people, and we think we're okay. Just like the religious leaders that we read about, I believe they thought they were okay. They thought they were doing the right thing. The priest, Levite, going on their way to serve God and everything, I believe they thought they were doing the right thing. Jesus came along and said, no. The guy in the synagogue, people getting healed on the Sabbath in the synagogue. People, stop it. That's not what's supposed to be happening. I believe he was sincere, was rebuking the people for God's sake. And we can sincerely believe that we're doing good. We can sincerely believe, oh, yeah, I love people. I love people. And be missing it. Be missing it. You know, I have a friend that says, you know, I'm not prejudiced. He's a white friend of mine. And he says, I'm not prejudiced. Look, you're my friend. This is what he said when we were in college. So the fact that I was his black friend made him feel like he wasn't prejudiced and everything was okay. I'm like, get out of here. And I remember one time we went to a store, get out to get gas. We got out. He put gas in the truck. And then there was a, a car that pulled up with two white guys. And excuse, anyway, I'm not going to apologize. Anyway, two white guys pulled up. And then he didn't think anything of it. And he starts to leave his car. We're going inside to pay for the gas. While the corner of his eye, he sees another car pull up with a couple of black guys in it. What does he do? I'm watching this because I knew what's going to happen. He stops and says, oh, hold on. Turns around. He goes and he locks the doors in his car. And then he goes on. And I said, what would you do that for? He said, do what? Why would you lock your car? Oh, well, um, um, and of course I nailed him. I said, dude, you didn't care about your car until the, until the brothers pulled up. That's not true. I'm not prejudiced. Well, you know, we got into this big old, I mean, it wasn't a fight because we were friends. And I knew he was a knucklehead anyway. So, But the thing was, was in his own thinking, he wasn't prejudiced. He wasn't racist. And he really wasn't. But we have areas. There are people that are okay. And if God wants to move on them, it's okay. But there are other people that is not okay for us for God to move on. And Jesus says, it's time for a new wineskin, people. It's time to love people like I love people. And when you say, Jesus, what does that look like? Help me. Here's where the fasting of prayer comes in. It's time to die to ourselves. It's time to die. And see, God's been dealing with me. And that, that guy, and, and you could probably relate to that because I had no intention of calling him. And I had attitudes coming up. Self-righteous, justifiable attitudes. That's why I should not call him. But they were not in agreement with God. Stand with me, please. We've been talking about fasting. It's like, what am I fasting for? Financial breakthrough? Yes. Am I fasting for a breakthrough in my family? Yes. You know, whatever, you need a job or want a different job or whatever, it's okay to fast and, and, and ask God to help you with these things. 
But I believe, here's the bottom line, the, the general thing, the reason why I believe God's wanting us to fast and he's given us grace to do it. So we can die to self and learn to love people the way he loves people. If God were to ask us, I have a whole bunch of people I want to bring into this church. They can be from the down and outers all the way up to the, the rich and wealthy. And he says, can I trust you with them? Can I trust you with these people? I want us all to be able to say wholeheartedly, yes. Because it's not about me, but it's about his kingdom. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you for working in our hearts. And we do choose to embrace, as we continue to die to ourselves, as you help us, as you help us to lay down our lives, like Jesus said, we're to lay down our lives, take up our cross, and follow you. Father, we thank you. We embrace the grace that enables us to do that. Because we want to move with you, Father. We want to move with you. So we say, have your way. Have your way. Father, thank you for your invitation. We gladly embrace it and accept it. In the name of Jesus. And we just take a few seconds right now and talk to the Lord of how, what you mean by this. What are you inviting him to do? Take a few seconds to do that right now. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to remind you that on Wednesday between 9 and 4 that the sanctuary here will be open. If you want to spend some time here during your fasting and praying, if you're doing that, just to come and and just spend some time here. Okay? Uh, I'm going to ask uh, Ken and Paula, uh, Emeril and and Gina, Sam and Jan to come up, and Dale and Teresa. You guys can come up, please, and Lisa. And if you have any need for any prayer, you might prefer anything when we dismiss. You are more than welcome to come up. We invite you to come.